today's big question. What is virtue signaling? Virtue signaling is defined by the Cambridge Dictionary as, quote, an attempt to show other people that you are a good person. For example, by expressing opinions that will be acceptable to them, especially on social media. Virtue signaling is the popular modern habit of indicating that one has virtue merely by expressing disgust or favor for certain political ideas or cultural happenings, end quote. Virtue signaling is so easy to spot in other people, but much harder to recognize it in ourselves. But in some ways, many of us do it. Maybe all of us. Today, we're going to talk about why we do it, if it's ever okay, and how virtue signaling is manifesting in our nation's most powerful places. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Michaela. I'm your host, and I'm here to give you the compassionate and conservative argument to America's most debated questions. I am here in the Shamrock studio powered by Shamrock Media Solutions with our producer, Ja. Hey! Hey, Ja. I'd like to point out before we begin that that is the first time on the show I have ever not used Merriam-Webster for Mm. a definition. I think in the entire show's history. (laughs) So this is a big day. Big day, big day. You're welcome, Cambridge Dictionary. (laughs) So we're talking about virtue signaling today, and we're going to go all over the map with this, Cha, so strap in. I've said this before on the show, but producer Cha never reads the scripts in advance, so that way she gets real-time reactions just like y'all. We've said this before. Think of Cha as you. You. (laughs) (laughs) I'm your shadow. Yes. So (laughs) virtue signaling is an attempt to show people that you're a good person, and there's nothing really wrong with that on its face. Wanting people to know that you're a yeah. good person and being a good person. These are pretty good yeah, things. noble cause. So when someone is called a virtue signaler and it's derogatory or it's bad, it's because the assumption is that the person doing the signaling is only doing it so that you think that they are a good person, not because they truly believe what they're doing or that right. they even really care about other people. So motive. Right. So yeah. that is when people start to call others virtue signalers. They're saying, I don't think you believe what you say you believe and that you're just doing this so people think that you're a good person. So virtue signaling is exactly what it sounds like. It is doing or saying things that would signal to others your commitment to a cause or to general human flourishing or to virtue. That's virtue signaling. When you Google search virtue signaling in images, this is what comes up. Are you ready for this, Cha? Oh, yeah. So you look up virtue (laughs) signaling, Google images. You can do this too. First, there's a cartoon about vegans because there's a trope about vegans that vegans have to tell everyone that they're vegan. And having had a short stint as a vegan, I know this is true. (laughs) I'm vegan. Well, you know, that's yeah. the joke that it's like vegans talk about being vegan like and not all vegans do this, obviously, but it's a, you know, they wear the shirts that say I'm joke. vegan on right. them. And so that's the first picture that comes up. Then there is a picture that comes up of two young girls at the women's march. Then there's a picture of former first lady Michelle Obama with a handwritten sign that says, quote, bring our girls back, bring back our girls. Pardon me. 
then there's a cartoon <laughs> oh, of a man. It's a cartoon of a man who's asleep on a recliner, but also crying. It says a virtue signaler, and it's supposed to be the caricature of a virtue signaler. So a man asleep on a recliner, somehow also crying, holding a Whole Foods bag in one hand and a Donald Trump protest sign in the other hand, a kale t-shirt and a vape pen. <laughs> Quintessential. Yeah. There's also a picture of actors from Big Bang Theory. You know Big Bang Theory? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't really know Big Bang Theory that well. I only know Sheldon, and it's not Sheldon. So it's the Raj. other. No, who's the third guy with the hair? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. Whatever that actor's yeah, name is, sure. he's not Sheldon, and he's not Raj. I don't think he's Raj. I don't know. Anyway, actor on Big Bang Theory, and he's with this other woman who I guess is also an actress on Big Bang Theory, and they're at an awards show. And he's holding a handwritten sign that says refugees welcome. And she has let them in written on her chest. <laughs> so this was a virtue signaling. There's also just a Black Lives Matter sign when you Google virtue signaling and images. Then there's a picture. Do you remember, Cha, this year when members of the House and Senate of, the, of Congress, the Democrats, were kneeling in the Capitol Rotunda oh, yes. with Nancy Pelosi? With Nancy Pelosi and her, um, her African garb the right? scarf yeah. yeah so she was in and they kneeled in the rotunda for eight minutes and 46 seconds which is george floyd george floyd yeah, yeah. and the U. it was in the visitor center and this was on june 8th of 2020 so when you google virtue signaling and images this picture of the democrats all kneeling in the visitor center shows up so i'm going to do something that maybe you're not expecting Ooh. i'm going to make an argument on behalf of virtue signaling All right, you ready for this? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Because I, when I was researching, I found this article, and I thought it'd be important to put into the show another perspective. So I was reading Practical Ethics from the University of Oxford. A man named Neil Levy wrote this, and I'd like to say that on this very same website, there was an entry called, If You're a Conservative, I'm Not Your Friend. So I was not exactly in friendly territory on this website, but I very much enjoyed this article, and I thought, although I don't agree with everything in it, there was lots of good points that add a lot of nuance to this discussion about what is virtue signaling, why do we do it, is it ever okay, why do we have these gut hit reactions to that word, and I'm going to bring them in. You ready? So this is Neil Levy. It might be Levi. I'm pronouncing it Levy, but L-E-V-Y. So let me read some of this. I'm reading a quote. People engage in moral talk all the time. When they make moral claims in public, one common response is to dismiss them as virtue signalers. Twitter is full of these accusations. The actress Jamila Jamil is a, quote, pathetic virtue signaling twerp, according to journalist Piers Morgan. Climate activists are virtue signalers, according to the conservative Manhattan Institute for Policy Research. Vegetarianism is virtue signaling, according to the author Bjorn Longberg. In in parentheses, it says, as these examples illustrate, the accusation seems more common from the right than from the left. We'll pause there. This is true. When you genuinely look up virtue signaling, there is more claims from the right to the left, claiming that the left is doing the virtue signaling. This might be because the left does virtue signal more or because the right's more interested in pointing out that kind of hypocrisy, which is what we're going to get into later is what is it? Why do people call it out? So... This is when he and I start to disagree, but I'm going to read through most of this before I give all of my thoughts because I have thoughts written out to just as if I'm discussing with Neil Levy. 
The next part of this says, accusing someone of virtue signaling is to accuse them of a kind of hypocrisy. The accused person claims to be deeply concerned about some moral issue, but their main concern is, so the argument goes, with themselves. They're not really concerned with changing minds, let alone with changing the world, but with displaying themselves in the best light possible. As the journalist James Bartholomew, who said that he invented the phrase but really didn't, put it in the spectator, virtue signaling is driven by, quote, vanity and self-aggrandizement and not concerned with others. Ironically, I'm still reading, ironically, accusing others of virtue signaling might itself constitute virtue signaling, just signaling to a different audience. Whether it should be counted as virtue signaling or not, the accusation does exactly what it accuses others of. It moves the focus from the target of the moral claim to the person making it. Are you tracking this, Cha? Sometimes I read the long quotes and I think people in the audience are like, wake up. Right, here we go. (laughs) Come on. Wake up. Taking in long quotes today, folks. Okay, so what he's saying right now is that virtue signaling, when you point out virtue signaling, it also moves the focus from the target of the moral claim to the person making it. For example, if somebody is making a political statement about the climate, and my focus is combating the person who made it, saying you don't even care about the climate, I also probably am not responding to the claim about the climate. Yes. To For those of you who may be a little lost, <laughs> here's here's an example. Yeah. I tell Duncan all the time. Duncan is her husband. Yeah, sorry. And I go, hey, uh, you know, we're, on the, we're in the living room, just kind of in each other's presence, maybe watching TV, and he's on his phone. I'm like, I really hate that you're on your phone all the time when we're hanging out. And he's like, okay this would be an example of what you're talking about like what his argument is saying like oh it's just another form of virtual signal virtue signaling the Mm -hmm. next night we're in the living room i'm on my phone and he goes hey i really hate when you're on your phone and i'm like well i'm just looking at whatever it's you're it's just a dichotomy like you're just shifting the blame of doing the same thing yeah saying you're doing the exact same thing by calling out the virtual virtue signaling that you're saying the person is doing. Well, and the other point that he's making there too is that when you do that, you shift the topic from what the person is trying to maybe discuss if they're discussing it in good mm-hmm. faith, say it's the climate. Yeah. And you say, well, you're just a virtue signal and they're saying, I want to discuss the climate with you. Right. If they are in good faith asking to discuss the climate, which is a totally individual case-by-case decision, which we'll talk about more later, how you can determine those things. So... I'll skip a little bit, but he goes on to argue that virtue signaling is a core function of moral discourse, which is just a fancy way of saying it's an important way that we discuss the important things in our life, basically moral discourse, the things that are right and wrong, and we talk about them. So he talks about how this is common in nature. For example, a peacock's tail is a kind of (laughs) like evolutionary virtue signaling that it's like, I'm a hottie, I'm a hottie when peacocks, I'm not sure if I agree with this, but this is something that he put out there. Then he goes on to talk about how this is done in religion with religious commitment. He says, quote, why from an evolutionary point of view would someone signal religious commitment? A likely explanation is that the function is to secure the benefits of cooperation. Cooperation with others is often a risky activity. There's the constant possibility that others will free ride or cheat or make off with benefits without paying the costs. The more complex the social group And the easier it is to move between groups, the higher the risks. So he's saying you can't tell who you can trust, essentially. So we get into these groups to help with cooperation, to overcome that problem. So religious people will signal their commitment to a code, a code of ethics, a religious code of ethics, so that they can cooperate 
on an easier scale. He gives the example of the Quakers, I believe, yes, of the Quakers early on and the Quaker business people and the Industrial Revolution. They all worked together because they had a signal that they were willing to abide by the same code of ethics. So all the Quakers got together because they were like, I morally agree with you. And I can tell that because you are also a Quaker. So I'm going to do business with you. So religious signaling, he goes on to argue, and this is an interesting argument he makes. Religious signaling is already moral signaling because religion is a set of morals. And he goes on to say, quote, it is hardly surprising that as societies secularize, which means be less religious and more secular, that more, he doesn't say that I said that quote back in the quote, more secular moral claims come to play the same role. Virtue signaling is supposed to be signaling to the in-group. It shows that we are, by the lights, respectable. That's not a perversion of the function of morality. It's moral discourse playing one of its central roles. Were you tracking what he's saying there? Let me tell you the key takeaways. So if you just fell asleep during that long quote, I'll tell you what what he said. TLDR. Too long, didn't read. So here's some of the key takeaways. One, that I took from this, and I really encourage you all to listen to people you disagree with, go on websites and study things you disagree with, so that way you can see if there's anything in there you might be surprised. That's what I did. I was like, oh, dang, I think this is really, really interesting stuff. There's a lot to discuss in this. So one key takeaway is just because, say, cha is virtue signaling doesn't mean cha is wrong or that the cause is totally invalid. Mm Mm-hmm. So what we can take from that, and this is more complex thinking, guys. I'm not going to throw red meat to the base today. We can critique form and content separately, or you can take the message and the messenger separately. I make this argument all the time for faith, all the time. The Mm -hmm. people are like, how come there are so many totally awful people who say they're Christian, Jewish, whatever, And then I say, well, you have to look at the message and not the messenger. Mm -hmm. I make this argument a lot. And at a certain point, if all the messengers are terrible, you have to use your discernment there as well. But I do make that argument multiple times. Just because somebody is virtue signaling doesn't mean what they're saying is wrong. And we have to think about that. And we have to be able to debate on the topic that they're signaling on as well. So we can say you're virtue signaling. And here's what I think about this topic. Right. Both. And people, for people maybe to, to bring it to a more practical idea like you're saying is pastors who you're like yeah well they struggle with this or they have this sin. My, yeah this pastor's an alcoholic right or yeah and and you know whatever you we can argue like whether or not that person should be leading a flock but as you're saying okay but w- what did what they preach on is it in the word you know like yeah just does it example. line up does it line up does it make is it valid i just make this argument for faith the all the time so that means that as I was looking in one, I'm not one of those people that thinks that everything is the same. So if I make it in one place, I have to make it in the other. But when I was starting to look at these other things, I think that that rule applies, that you have to d- separate the message from the messenger at times and be able to judge them both on their merits separately yeah. at times. So this is something else that was a takeaway for me for that, which was, oh, well, <laughs> this wasn't exactly a takeaway. When he says that accusing someone of virtue signaling is virtue signaling, that's a little too inception for me. But Inception, as in, I don't think it makes that much sense. It's just like too like wordplay for mm-hmm. me. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's like really tautological and strange. Yeah. But I do think that ideologically and politically, we take on these kind of tribal roles and we do signal to our own base. I called it throwing red meat to the base, mm-hmm. where for conservatives, we will signal to each other. Well, this was <laughs> this happened 
with mask wearing on both sides of the aisle. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So to bring it into today, people who maybe leaned farther left, and this isn't everyone who wore a mask. To be clear, I have to speak in broad swaths because I cannot talk about every individual human being on this planet on the show. But in broad swaths, we saw representatives of the left saying, wear a mask as it signals that you care. And people on the right taking the mask off as a signal to their right. tribe so much so that it has become a meme it you know on tiktok people are like oh my gosh i accidentally left my mask on in my car i hope they don't think I, i'm a republican yeah. <laughs> no i hope they don't think i'm a liberal i left my mask on in my car i hope they yeah. don't think i'm a liberal but that you is we're, but that we yeah. understand that with the mask thing 100 percent. Right. and if you think through your life whatever side of the aisle you fall on and you're truly honest i think you understand that that has become a signal of how we figure out who our tribe is when you walk into a restaurant is my tribe the people wearing the masks or not wearing the mask and not everyone falls into that but we are tribal in nature as human beings and we do that we do divide into groups that's what we do right so another thing I got from this is that religious signaling for cooperation, that makes total sense, totally to me, mm-hmm. as long as none of the signalers are faking it. Then it starts to fall apart in faith mm-hmm. and in all other ways. If you signal that you and I, Cha, which we do, we flock together because you and I have very similar values. Yeah. So we work well together. We're good friends. That makes sense. We speak a similar language faith-wise, and so we flock together. And that works unless one of us was faking it and right. like say for example i'm actually faking it and stealing all your money then right. this whole system falls apart regardless of what i say right. regardless if i signal to you that you and i are similar if i'm faking it then mm-hmm. the whole system breaks down from yeah. there okay i also think it is easier he pointed out the idea it's easier to track this in small groups which is why when you get into these big movements it's so hard because you don't know who's an outlier and who really represents a movement this happens with conservatives they say this about um, Jewish people. They say, I think it's two Jews, three opinions. I think that's true about conservatives as well. I think it's probably true about every major group that they don't represent each other well, which is why I think we see more and more people saying the phrase, I don't feel represented by either party because the parties are just so big. Right. And unless you're in a small group, it's really hard to be able to control or trust the other people. Even if they signal to you, I'm ideologically on the same plane as you. It's still kind of like, are you though? Right, right. I'm really not sure about that. And I also think that for me as a Republican, oops, <laughs> really, actually, I think I'm a registered independent now, but regardless, I'm a Republican because I'm a vote more Republican than Democrat. And I look at the Republicans and think we're really not vetting well. Like <laughs> we're, I'm, and, and I'm more likely to say I don't feel well represented by either party. Even though I vote Republican, yeah. I still am like, ugh, you know, yeah, this is not. In some way, yeah. Okay. So also one other thing I thought was really interesting in this is that we're secularizing. We're becoming, we talked about this right before the show, yeah. Cha. You don't lose faith, you switch faiths. Yeah. So whether you have a faith particularly in God, you have a faith in a type of ideological activism, we switch who we serve. We always yep. serve something. Everyone serves yep. a master at all times. And as we've become more secular, we haven't lost the traditions of faith. We've just transferred them yep. to secular just, ideas yep. where before the Quakers got together, now the climate activists get together. Mm-hmm. And yep. that's just yep. a sign of the times, I think, yep. about where we are in the world. Activism has become a, a religion. And that's why I think it's so deeply personal to people and they feel so personally attacked when you disagree politically because it's akin to a religiously held yep. belief for some people. Exactly. I've seen this with climate activism. This is a really good example. And 
now it's with intersectionality or wokeism. We haven't found the best word for this yet, but it's this signaling that you understand the grand web of the great oppression of all people that has become a religion in and of itself. If you, I went three years ago, I was an observer at the women's March and I was actually helping a friend who's a photographer who was photographing it and I was carrying a camera and so I was watching the Women's March, and this was more like a religious revival than a political rally, with the fact that there were multiple assertions that were based on a shared faith, a shared ideology between these women, than facts or documented history. And we see this also, we've talked about this multiple times with adherence to transgender ideology, You know it has become a religion because even if you present other facts, if you present other pieces of information, they get rejected if they do not fit into the ideological or religious framework. And that's happened now with a lot of political movements as we've secularized, I suppose. So back to virtue signaling. This is a very episode for me, but I think it's important because I know on the right, we use this word a lot and I want us to know what we mean when we say it. If you're a person on the right, and if you're a person on the left, I also think it's important that we break down what is the claim really being leveled against different people and why is it being leveled? Does it have validity basically? So when people accuse others of virtue signaling, I think the core of the complaint is one of two things. Okay. One is that they do not believe the claim they are making is true or virtuous. So basically, they think they're lying. Let me give you an example with race. Many people, I am included in this, feel that the broad swath of equity, diversity, and inclusion training and racial activism that we're experiencing in the United States is based on a lie that America is systemically racist. So for many, me included, this contradicts statistical trends, which were towards racial harmony that we were seeing, a lack of evidence of racism embedded into laws or systems, and it also defies the truth of their own lives, my own life, where race was not playing any kind of central role. So when people step up and they start to virtue signal that they are fighting the systemically racist system or tearing it down, Many, me included, dismiss these actions because they're not based in truth and thus not virtuous. So that's the first issue is that many people will say you're virtue signaling and I don't think what you're saying has virtue. So not only are you signaling it and you don't believe it, also it's a bad idea. So that's a problem I think people have with number one. I think race is a great example of that. Number two, they don't believe that the signaler actually cares about what they're signaling and they're only saying it to be good or fashionable. Sometimes it's both of these things. Sometimes it's one or the other when you call someone a virtue signaler. I think these are the two real complaints that one, what you're saying should give you virtue is not virtuous, that it's a lie or it's not in harmony with reality, which is a fun way of saying a lie, or that you are disingenuous in your signaling. Like you don't actually believe what you're saying. Yeah. When when you were kind of talking about, it, I was think I was thinking to myself like, oh, well, when I use it, what like what am I thinking? Yeah. And, what are you saying? Mine is the latter that you explained. That like, you just don't think they believe it. No, I don't think. I think that if when I use it about somebody or some organization or some um, ideological thought that people are using, like a touting, movement. Yeah, mm-hmm. movement. Um, when I when I yeah. say it, I mean you don't actually believe that. It's just cool for you to say it. You're just saying that. Okay, Mm -hmm. and this is exactly what we're going into next, child. Okay, so there is this guy. His name is Rob Henderson. He has a theory called luxury beliefs. Hmm. 
And this gets into what we were just talking about. Let me tell you a little bit about Rob Henderson. I heard him first on the Jordan B. Peterson podcast. Duh. Rob had a drug addicted mother as a child and he was in the foster care system. He had a rough upbringing and then he was in the military and he used the GI Bill to go to Yale. So he was very quickly plunged into the upper class, a place that he had really never been before. And Yale is the quintessential upper class and up and coming upper class. So that's who Rob is. And when he was there, he was observing what's going on. And he created this idea called luxury beliefs, which are, let me quote from his website, luxury beliefs are ideas and opinions that confer status, which means give, give status on the rich at very little cost while taking a toll on the lower class. In the past, I'm still reading, people displayed their membership of the upper class with their material accoutrement things. But today, luxury goods are more affordable than before pause. For example, an iPhone. The things that upper class used to do, how they would dress, expensive shoes. This isn't cool anymore. If you look at the most wealthy people, they're in hoodies. So we don't signal wealth. Or morph suits at the Met Gala. Yes, that's true. That's a Kim Kardashian reference. So we don't signal with things, big watches, big earrings, big carriages, what have you, that the upper class used to signal their separateness with. I'll keep reading. People are less likely to receive validation for material items that they display. There is a problem for the affluent who still want to broadcast their high social position, but they've come up with a clever solution. The affluent have decoupled social status from goods and reattached it to beliefs. So you represent your upper class elite status with what you believe and say, not with... She loves it. Ain't that the truth? (laughs) I saw your hand reaching for the button. I just paused. I said, the audience is coming in. The audience is coming in. So that is how Rob Henderson believes that the upper class is signaling their separateness, their eliteness, is through luxury beliefs. Beliefs that you could really only hold if you are upper class. I'm going to give you an example from Rob Henderson on the Jordan Peterson podcast. This is a story of Rob's personal life at Yale, from his personal life at Yale, discussing with one of his classmates something that he believes, and I agree, is a luxury belief. And in that New York Post essay, the the original luxury beliefs essay, I opened with this story of uh, this conversation I had with a classmate of mine in undergrad, uh, we were sort of talking about relationships and career. And she said to me, you know, I, I just think monogamy is outdated. I just think it's, you know, not really good for society. I think it's just this sort of old patriarchal way of thinking. And I'd heard things like this before, but this time I asked her, um, well, what do you plan to do? You know, what do you want to do with, with your own life and with your own relationship situation and, and so on in the future? And she herself said, well, I'd like to get married and settle down and have a family at some point, you know, sort of after my career takes off. And I asked her, well, what was your life like before that? You know, how did you grow up? And essentially, she had come from a very stable, intact two-parent family. And so this puzzled me because this was uh, emblematic of so many of the opinions I'd heard of my uh, in undergrad from my peers. They would say one thing. They would believe this one set of interesting or unusual beliefs that I'd never heard before from anyone else. Uh, But then they themselves had come from sort of more conventional uh, upbringings 
and they themselves planned to have that kind of life, that sort of uh, more stable traditional family. I'd once heard someone put this way that, um, you know, a lot of sort of affluent people, they, uh, what is it, they walk the 50s and talk the 60s. Really cool, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is an idea that I imagine a lot of us listening know when they hear it, but haven't been able to put into words. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is something that I'm so grateful to Rob and his research for in his personal life to bring this in with the example of polyamory versus monogamy. For example, he talks about how polyamory is kind of the latest expression of sexual freedom that is promoted by the upper class. I have a lot of his writing here. I might have exhausted you with the long quotes, so I won't read all of it. I'm just going to do some (laughs) highlights. So this was in a paper by Rob Henderson. He was quoting a Harvard political science named Robert Putnam that said, rich kids and poor kids grow up in two separate Americas. Growing up with two parents is now unusual in the working class, while two-parent families are normal and becoming more common among the upper middle class. Upper-class people, particularly in the 1960s, championed sexual freedom. Loose sexual norms spread throughout society. The upper class, though, still have intact families. They experiment in college, and they settle down later. The families of the lower class fall apart. Today, the affluent are among the most likely to display the luxury belief that sexual freedom is great, though they are most likely to get married and least likely to get divorced. This is a quintessential bit of a luxury belief, which is something you can experiment with in college, but you have enough affluence for it to not really touch you after that. He gives an example in the podcast with Jordan when he's on a dating app and he was at a major university, I guess it was Yale, and he would be within the vicinity of Yale and all the people would have at Yale would have in their profiles that they are polyamorous, interested in polyamory. He'd expand it to outside in the area where normal people lived and they would almost all be single mothers. And that hit him like a brick because you can see directly the effects of the luxury beliefs of the upper class impacting the middle and lower class and the upper class walking away from it. And being completely fine. And being completely fine. Gosh, that's so sad. And another thing that he wrote in one of his articles is, quote, when an affluent person advocates for drug legalization or open borders or anti-vaccination policies or loose sexual norms or uses the term white privilege, they're engaging in a status display. They're trying to tell you I'm a member of the upper class. This is an interesting concept to me. He also compared this when somebody uses the word heteronormative, how you have to be kind of a rich person to have even known that word. Right. And so you signal to well, each other. It, it signals that you went to college. You went to college. Or even post. And you uh, study. Yeah, yeah, you have a master's. Yeah. And that you can use the word heteronormative. And it separates you from the plebs. And so he was saying when you go out into the, quote, real world with the working class people that don't have the time to study all the different genders, that don't have the time to understand the nuances of language, to say heteronormative and cisgender and these other terms that are new and part of the affluent. When you go to the real world, people don't use those words. But if you step onto a college campus, if you don't use those words, then you are not part of the elite of the campus. So this is 
another example of this, well, let me say something else that he mentions is that unfortunately, these luxury beliefs will trickle down and they will cause harm to the lower middle class. There's a famous quote, and I can't remember who it is, but it was talking about when the upper class sneezes, um, when the upper class sneezes, the lower class gets pneumonia. It's something like that. It's mm-hmm. like t- akin to that yeah. to explain that although the whims of society are controlled by the upper class, they're rarely affected by it because they can live above it and essentially experiment with these cool ideas right. and not face repercussions for them. And yet the middle lower class think for example, polyamory, that the upper class actually is doing it. And so they do it too because they think, well, these successful people are doing it. I should do it. But the real dupe is they're not doing it. They're just telling you that they're interested in it and they're telling you that they're doing it, but they are getting married because they understand that the stable family will be beneficial for them. It was beneficial for them in the past. It'll be beneficial for their children, but they're telling you that it's no big deal, both will be equal because that's a luxury belief. Right, and even when it's not. Right, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it doesn't have to be true. That's why it's a luxury. Right. You don't have to have things that are true and time-tested. It's luxurious to be able to try out things and experiment with new words and new norms without having any real consequences. That's a luxury. This is also apparent when you see upper class folks calling to abolish the police that live with personal security and safe neighborhoods, this is an idea that they can signal to each other. This is how this connects to virtue signaling that they are part of the elite upper class who quote gets it, who's woke, but never have to worry about somebody breaking into their house and they're not being police there or not being someone to protect them because they don't live in the neighborhoods where that's an issue. I've said this about guns on my gun episode, that it's a kind of privilege to think you'll never need a gun. And until I was in a situation where my, when I was threatened, I'd never thought I would need one, which is a kind of privilege that I had. And since I've been exposed to some things that were harder in life, I have changed my mind on things like that. And the luxury belief that I had that maybe you don't need guns has died (laughs) because I realized in the real world, that's not how it works. And a lot of people live in the elite bubble, the master's degree bubble, and they never realize that is what is happening to them. And they're signaling to each other where before they signaled with Prada and I don't know, whatever Gucci watch, what Gucci doesn't make watches bags. I don't know. Signaled with fancy, ritzy, bougie things. Now they signal with ideas. This is interesting because they express it's so similar to products because where before they could buy a $900 bag and it didn't really cost them anything but when you or I go out to try to copy them and buy a $900 bag then we're screwed essentially right that's the same thing with ideas the ideas don't cost them as much and thus they deal in them way more freely than the average person could even or should Right. If they want to be success, if they want to be stable, even not even successful, just stable. Right. So things like open borders too. That's a luxury belief to think there are no borders because you probably have borders around your house. Yeah. The, the people, I mean, that's just such a, a trope now that all the celebrities are like, um, let them in, open our borders. They have gates. They have multiple Security guards. Gates. It's very funny because you're like, let them into your house. You know, they know they won't be let into their house. Right. They have an understanding 
that is why they make these statements or they're not connecting them. And I'm talking about this elite upper class, not the everyday person who I believe is getting their cues from the elite and suffering the consequences. The average everyday person who isn't understanding that the elite is saying these things, but not really doing them. This really has just hit, hit me like a brick in the face with the way our, um, like our past colleagues and classmates act now, right? So I'm thinking of our friends and and past classmates and people that we know who Mm -hmm. are in our age bracket who um, hold very tightly these beliefs, these ideologies that are very um, lofty, Mm -hmm. that are very Luxurious. luxurious. And it doesn't make like and that's it literally just hit me like that's why they sound so hypocritical because they're not even realizing that it's not doable it doesn't make sense oh you're talking about ideas that are being espoused or don't don't play out in real life they don't play out so even like defunding the police is a great example that doesn't play out practically in in real real life. life because they live in the bronx and are walking home and are being catcalled and chased down by people right and um tyra banks isn't gonna come to the bronx to save you but she doesn't have to deal with that because she has are you sure (laughs) you know but they really have to deal with that no yeah or someone broke into their apartment in the upper east side or whatever the heck and uh nick cannon isn't coming to help them recover their lost items right no, that's like, a great point. Well, that's just like how the 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 elite women who who influence the lower classes, middle and lower class towards sexual freedom are not coming to help you raise the child you had out of wedlock. Out, out in your sexual freedom. They are freedom. not coming right. to comfort you if you have an abortion. Yeah. Well, they are well, not even, coming to take care of you. Well, let's even put a pin in it there, right? So so this is just how crazy this becomes the elite women espousing this sexual freedom, right? You know, it's your body, your choice, and, and sex work is real work, and whatever you want, and, and being a single mom is, uh, is awesome. virtuous and awesome. Okay, right? This uh, elite woman has enough resources and monies that would make money that would make God blush, and... <laughs> And this young, these young people who are actually listening to the Cardi B's and the Beyonce's and the whoever else yeah. um, don't have that money. So when you are uh, in a lower class or lower middle class, low class. Just not um, upper class. Not either. upper class. And you go have your sexual freedom and have one night stands every day of the week. And then you get pregnant. And then you're like, oh, so what do they do now? And they're, they're step two. They espouse your body, your choice, abort that baby. Okay. Well then, uh, you go to the doctor and they're like, yeah, and that'll be $30,000 please. Or 40. I or have whatever. no idea how much an abortion costs. Because I, I don't know. But it's, it's just based just on what I know. Deny, yeah. It's in the tens of thousands of dollars. Really? Cause it's a procedure. Wow. Yes. Just to get a CT scan is 10 to $15,000. I just have no idea. Right. So it's in the tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, just whatever. It's not free. No, it's not free. And then it's just it is such a 
terrible yeah. evil circle because then they're like oh well then that's why abortion should be free from planned parenthood but those people elite never have i bet net yeah suffering bet, the they, they never have to go to a planned parenthood because they could order their private doctor to their three million dollar mansion and take care of it well, what i think what i'm hearing is something that a lot of people i have also heard are feeling upset about which is that the elites aren't playing by the same rules as us, right. but they're making rules that For they us. don't have to follow. Yeah. And I think this is a really common complaint and critique. And that is an example also of a luxury belief in the family unit. Like you were just talking about a luxury belief is to say that all families are equally good. And I don't mean that all families are equally good by standards of like how much they're loved by God. That is true, but equally good as far as you will have the same opportunities monetarily. Your children will be equally stable. This isn't true. And it's a luxury belief to be able to say that. It's harder to be a single mom than to be in a two-parent household. This is just the truth. And so it's a luxury belief right. to say that it won't be harder, that it is equal and equal. Of course, equal emotionally. You do not look down on somebody who is a single parent. No. This is a real reality of a lot of people. In fact, those people need to be supported in our communities, Absolutely. loved in our communities. If you should be given a money, if you can, in your community, not through the government, but personally. Right. But it but, should not be the norm. No, the it's, accepted norm. But that's a luxury belief right? to say that all of those families will be equal. Uh, it's an amazing concept but also back to the thing that you were saying about the kind of hypocrisy of the ruling class if you will Mm -hmm. making rules that they do not follow that is why i think when specifically on the right but on all sides people cry virtue signaling it's really about hypocrisy Mm -hmm. that's what it comes down to we had this example before of representative ocasio alexandra ocasio cortez wearing a tax the rich dress at the met gala making one hundred seventy four thousand dollars a year saying that she's a working class woman and so she's so out of touch too it's very out of touch and and she's talking about the difficulties of being a working class woman at the met gala and my first thought was has there ever been a working class woman at the met gala other than working the met gala literally and then it's the same i think anger that rises in people when governor of california gavin newsom defies his own lockdown orders and eats at the French laundry while everybody right. else is not able to do that. It's even former president Obama's birthday party when every POD is still locked down and masking that he had a big birthday party blowout. And we were told it's because that they are sophisticated and vaccinated. Right. People are coming to resent the elite class for being so overtly holier than thou Absolutely. rules for thee but not for me in a way they're starting to behave like sanctimonious narcissists which is a critique you hear mostly leveled against religious people yeah i watched a video called narcissists and virtue signaling by dr romani a sassy clinical psychologist who speaks on YouTube about narcissists. And now when you have a hammer, everything is a nail. So when I listened to this, it seemed so related to what is happening in our world politically and culturally right now. So I wanted to bring in a cut from Dr. Romani, who again is on YouTube and you can listen to if you're interested in the study of narcissists. Use their virtue to control other people. So, for example, if you are in their yoga cult or their whatever cult they have running or their their zealous worship of whatever vegetable du jour that they're about, then you're good. But if you don't do what they're saying, then you're not. 
That's not how it works, does it? If you don't agree with me, you're still a good person. It doesn't matter. But that's not how it's viewed in their world, but because they frame it through this lens of virtue, of goodness, of religion, or whatever it is, it becomes a big, massive manipulation. As far as I'm concerned, when you use any form of so-called virtue or religion or spiritual beliefs to humiliate, shame, invalidate, or silence other emotions, now you've gone into a toxic or narcissistic place. So, in that video, there are a few other points that I think are relevant to our discussion of what she calls the noble narcissist, which I think is what we're seeing from members of the, quote, ruling class. When I say that, I think it's the people we, yeah. who have outed themselves that they believe that they are above it all. The people who make rules and don't follow them mm -hmm. because they think that they are better than everybody else. That's who I'm talking about. The ruling class is just as much in reality as it is in the mind of the ruling class, that they think that they don't have to do what the plebes, the peons, have to do. In this video with Dr. Romani, there are a few other relevant points that I'm not going to pull quote, uh, cuts from, but she talks about the noble narcissist isolates and controls, which is where you tell people we are better than everyone else because we do X, because we recycle, because we are X, Y, Z. She frames it a lot through the lens of religion. In fact, she seems a bit salty about religion. <laughs> when you listen to her videos, I don't know if she loves religious people, which is fine. But she was saying a, a tactic of a narcissist is to isolate you saying we're better than everyone else because of X. Don't talk to that person. They aren't X. So you're isolated in this saying, unless they signal correctly, you don't talk to them. That's outside of your goodness. Right. And we've, we've seen that with if I mean, one of the biggest ones that really gets my go is in the last eight years, if you voted for X, unfriend me, don't talk yes, to me. It's part of the isolation. Right. Absolutely. Saying and saying you shouldn't be friends with right. people who voted for X. Right. Go ahead and unfriend me if like that. That was actually something that was going around. Unfriend me if you any of the following on this list you don't agree with. And it was like hashtag Black Lives Matter. You right. know, like and all these things. Yes. Yeah. I've seen those. Another thing from the video that she talks about is when people use their virtue to inflict superiority as an excuse for their own bad behavior. Let me give you an example. Former President Obama's birthday party. We, I need to, to say, this is the point where we have children going to school in masks eight hours a day. You're wearing six masks to Publix or Walmart if you don't have Publixes. I pity you if you don't. But at Obama's birthday party, we were told, and this quote has been the quote heard around the world, an anchor said that it's okay because they're a sophisticated vaccinated crowd. I am sure as soon as the anchor said this, that they were like, oh, no, because they let the cat out of the bag saying, look, they don't have to follow the rules because they're trustworthy. They're sophisticated. They get it. The rules are for the unsophisticated, the non-elite who we think can't handle the freedom as well as the sophisticated folks can. And that is exactly. what that quote said, whether mm. she meant it implicitly or not. It was a Freudian slip. That is what that quote said. Yep. And whether... She's been taught that and she views herself as either of those classes. I feel sorry for her. Right. Truly. This would also explain this kind of noble narcissism as a concept would also explain how we've seen multiple award shows and the Met Gala where the elites were unmasked and the staff weren't. 
This really bothers me. It's a kind of narcissism that's justified by personal virtue. For example, at the Met Gala, who I know every conservative in the whole world loves to hate on the Met Gala. (laughs) I don't hate the Met Gala. It's just extremely extravagant. I'd probably never attend and it's a bit ridiculous, but I I kind of enjoy it in its own like weird way. I used to watch Project Runway. I like all that stuff. So at the Met Gala, Representative Carolyn Maloney was posing for a picture and a dress. And I'm sure you've seen this picture, but if you haven't, you need to look it up. And it said equal rights for women. She's posing on a carp like red carpet style, totally unmasked. In this photograph, standing behind her is a line of women who are working the event masked. And it is almost sweet, the irony of this, if it weren't real life. So she is there wearing an equal rights for women shirt, standing in front of a bunch of working class women working the event who are forced to wear masks and from my understanding they all had the same vaccination requirements so what is up with that this also side note once again proves my theory that there's a sect of our society a sect of our society that uses COVID-19 restrictions not to protect people because they but because they feel superior to the undesirable so it's not about anything other than that it's not about health and not everyone is that way of course i also think what one some many people make personal health decisions just because they have a series of facts and they make a personal decision bet i'm not talking about this i'm talking about this sect of people that say covid19 is a threat but then go out and behave as if it is not a virtue signal they that, virtue signal that COVID is a threat and then they go to the so they pay yeah they pay cert- lip service to it saying you shouldn't go out but I can go out and go to I'm the smart. Emmys because I understand this and I and I think that this affects the working class people much more than the elites who espouse it which makes it a luxury belief in a lot of ways yeah. so in a world that is populated with virtue signalers what do we do Ja? how do we separate out the virtuous people from the fakers and who can we even trust so to answer that question great question by the way (laughs) i have to tell you about gaslighting let me give you an example i'm going to use producer cha for this example so say cha told me this morning that she would be picking me up for the show today she said i'll pick you up at five we'll be at the studio at 5 15 5 15 rolls around and Cha hasn't picked me up. Then Cha calls me and she says, you're late. Why aren't you at the studio? And I say, you said you would pick me up. And then she says, no, I didn't. You're imagining things. At this point, I think, oh my God, am I crazy? And then I apologize. And I say, I'm so sorry. I'm late. I'm on my way. At this point, Cha sanctimoniously says, I forgive you. That is gaslighting. Did you track that story, Cha? You said one thing, didn't do that thing, and then said that you didn't say that thing, made me feel crazy, and then I apologized. Right. That's gaslighting. This happens a lot. Everywhere. Not that I don't pick her up and make her walk to the studio when, and then forgive her. That's not happened a lot. What? <laughs> you just said this, this is, happens a lot. Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chuck gaslights the blip out of me, guys. This is a call for help. So, <laughs> no, I was saying like gaslighting in general happens yeah. a lot and it happens a lot in politics. Yeah. Cha has never gaslit me. <laughs> right, Cha? I really hope not. <laughs> no, seriously, she's <laughs> No, seriously, Cha's never gaslit me. I was saying this happens a lot in politics mm-hmm. and in life and a lot of other places. Yeah. Here's an example. 
our leaders politically will shut down the economy. They will keep schools closed. A hypothetical example. Just, I'm making this up. I'm pulling this out of thin air. Say our leaders shut down the economy. They keep our schools closed. And then they do a panel on how women are being pushed out of the workforce. And they're like, why is this happening? It must be the patriarchy. Yeah, duh. Or let me give you another example. Hypothetical. The government doesn't secure the border. Migrants. They would never. Yeah. Migrants flood in. The government blames it on climate change and they shut down your job in the oil industry. Again, I'm just pulling this out of. This would never actually happen. No, this would never happen. This would never, ever happen. But if it did happen, it would be gaslighting. It would be outrageous. (laughs) But it would also be gaslighting. Right. So here's another. Our politicians will tell you that COVID-19 will kill you. Wear 10 masks and never leave your house. So kids have to wear masks outside on their bicycles. Literally saw that today on the way here. I've seen it multiple times. That's why I'm giving that example because I saw it. I've seen it multiple times. They are outside in masks on their bicycles. They're at recess 16 feet apart outside dribbling a ball alone in 12 masks <laughs> while the Emmys go on maskless, maskless and not distanced. So what do you do? So gaslighting 101. If there is one rule. If you think you're being gaslit. Okay, what is it? Look at what they do and not what they say. Boom, bap, boom. Boom. This goes the same for spotting a virtue signaler who lacks virtue. Look at what they do. Does it line up with what they say? And does it seem honestly motivated by an intention to do good? Here's a few more things to look for. Do their words line up with their actions and do the consequences of their actions line up with what they tell you they are doing? So if they say we're setting out to, for example, make life better for the middle class, they institute a series of tax policies that make life worse for the middle class, then you can say you actually aren't setting out to make life better for the middle class or you are an idiot. <laughs> or you are woefully misinformed and unprepared. And then I would the assume they're not an idiot. Right. This is how we do this. We track all of what they do and almost none of what they say until they earn your trust. In this way, we have to be endless with love, but very stingy with our trust, especially with people with bigs amount bigs amounts. Bigs amounts of power. <laughs> but you need you need to discuss ideas with everyone, even if you think they're full of it. You really should hear them out and then decide for yourself. But also, something that I learned creating this episode, as I said earlier, is you judge the messenger and not the message. And just because they're virtue signaling doesn't mean the idea lacks virtue totally. There are times when you have to judge the merit of each idea and then judge each person individually. And that's much harder to do. That takes much more time. It is very easy to look at somebody and call them a virtue signaler. And you might be right. But we need to take the time and judge each person individually based not on what they say, but based on what they do. And I know that's hard, but we really can't handle much more division in the country. So it's worth a try, right? All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Treat everyone with a kindness and never trade what looks right for what is right.
Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining us this week. We're so glad that you are here. As always, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Something Burger Podcast and on Twitter at S Burger Podcast. And as always, please leave us a review anywhere you listen to your podcast. Drop your thoughts below. And hey, five stars. And if you want to reach out to us, as always, you can reach out to us at our Gmail, somethingburgerpodcast at gmail.com. Say, hey, Michaela, what's good? Thanks so much for joining us this week, you guys, and we'll see you next week.